So it's really great to be able to look at God's Word together like this and we are in our Together series. This is part 12, I understand, I think that's right, in, in Galatians and certainly it's my privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. Uh, we have freedom to do so, we're free to meet here. We're looking at how that appears in verses 13 to 18 of Galatians 5. So that is how we're going to be doing it and I think sometimes as far as freedom goes that we do take it for granted at times, living in Australia. They, the freedoms that we got are hard-fought freedoms and they're carefully planned out freedoms, set down for us by our, uh, in the Judeo-Christian values that we were given at the beginning of the settlement of this nation. And those settlers, yeah, they certainly weren't perfect by any stretch, but they did a lot right and they did try and base things on Christian values. And as a result, we have a place where we have lots of choice. Now we do still have lots of choice, even at the worst of the last couple of years, we still had plenty of choice. Uh, and, but yes, our freedoms have been curbed in many ways in the last few years, but I mean they're increasing in the shorter term, but the trend in the longer term is probably towards less freedom, especially for us as Christians. I'd, you've probably noticed that. There's more pressures and more people trying to restrict what we do. So that's just a point I'd make in passing is if things continue on that trajectory that we can expect our religious freedoms to be corroded more, eroded more. So, but we have to remember things may not continue that way. God may choose another way for us to, to go. Uh, he can act and we can act as well. We should act to, to work against these things that are reducing our freedom. But let's pray mainly that we do have these freedoms for a long while yet. Now, it's not my intention to talk too much about politics today or anything like that. So our heart for today is to look at our, the spiritual realm of things rather than the political realm. But I do want to see that there is a connection between the two things and certainly how our lives operate within those things and how the spiritual truths can inform us about the decisions we make in life. So what is the spiritual principle for today? For those following along in your bulletins, you can see that it's uh, walk in freedom by the Spirit. So what's, what we need to be doing is walking in freedom by the Spirit. So I hope by the end of what I say today that what that means has a bit of flesh on the bones, I guess you could say. A bit of clarity, because we want to know what it means for our spiritual lives so that we know, you know how we know God better and how that affects our, our living. So, but the reason I started with the, the political thing is just to, to be able to draw some parallels between the two to help us think intelligently about these things. But if we're going to think in such a way about and, and be clear, we need some clarity. So the question then is for clarity, what is freedom? If we're going to talk about freedom, we've got to know what it is we're talking about. What is liberty? That's the one the USA was founded on, the liberty and justice for all. All those ideas. So what are the definitions that are around today that some people go by? So I jumped online and I found a few. Let's look at the first one. Here's Merriam's, I think it's Merriam-Webster actually. The dictionary says this, it's the absence of necessity, coercion or constraint in choice or action. So you can, if you can imagine when you go to the supermarket, you can, the kind of freedom we're talking about there is you can choose anything you want. You can walk around any aisle, put anything in your trolley and as long as you go and pay for it, then you can walk out with it. Make sure you do that. You're not free to just take it. 
that is the freedom we have to choose anything in the shop. Now, for a little while there, our freedoms were quite limited there because you'd go to the toilet paper section and it would be empty. So you weren't free to choose toilet paper at that time. But yeah, so food shortages aside, uh, the shelves are stacked a little bit more now or stocked a little bit more, so that's, that's good. So we have more freedom. But that's one aspect of freedom, just the opportunity to choose. Let's look at another definition. That's, this is one by the Cambridge people. It says this, the condition of being, sorry, the condition or right of being able or allowed to do, say, think, etc., whatever you want to, without being controlled or limited. Now that one kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. It's kind of like saying, hey, freedom just means doing whatever you want to do. You've got absolute freedom. Freedom is unlimited restrictions to whatever pleases you. Now that sounds a bit more worldly, doesn't it? that one. So let's just keep that one in mind, but we'll, we'll touch on some of those ideas a bit later on. But the final one we'll look at for this time is the good old Wikipedia. Wikipedia says this, having the ability to act or change without constraint or to possess the power and resources to fulfill one's purposes unhindered. So it's that word unhindered that I want to pick up on now. It doesn't mean that there aren't boundaries but it does mean that the way is open in the direction you need to go. And I, I'm a bit of a Need to Breathe fan, and they've got a song called Banks. And uh, that song is about, it goes, I want to be the banks for your river. I want to be close, uh, but not constrain you. So the idea of river banks, they, alongside, they help, but they don't restrict the flows. And that's kind of the idea here as well, that you have the ability to act or change according to that's according to your free will. And again, we're going to need to hold these thoughts as we go forward because we'll need them a bit later on. But So that's, yeah, that's the kind of freedom that's there, the idea of being unhindered, but there is a direction to go. Now, keep that in mind, like I said, because being unhindered is something you're not going to see in the next video. I'm going to show you a video. I wonder what kind of freedom you see here. Now, this is from Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. You can probably imagine what it's going to look like. If you look closely there, you can see cars going all different directions and it's just causing all kinds of chaos, right? So my question is, if you are in that situation, you're at that intersection, you're in a car or you're in a, on a bike, do you have freedom? I wouldn't say so, would you? No. Now, we sort of sometimes laugh at that because we're in Australia. We're pretty privileged, aren't we, here? We're most of the time... We don't have that kind of restriction on our, our travel around. Yes, we do have our issues at time, and there's still traffic jams in Perth, but nothing like Sydney even. <laughs> but we do have freedom on our roads mostly. So, and I've been to places, uh, one place I've been is, um, is Phnom Penh in Cambodia. That's my personal experience of something like that. So it really hit me when I was there that despite what the traffic lights were doing, they were changing, and despite what the road rules supposedly were, None of those things made any difference to what was going on in front of me at this intersection that I saw. It was actually I think it was a big roundabout or something. It was just a big mess. And even if you've been to Paris, Arc de Triomphe around that, that's chaotic. That's crazy there as well. But there are rules apparently. But if people just do whatever they like, it creates chaos, doesn't it? So because of that, my freedom on the road is seriously hindered if I'm in that situation. But not only my freedom, 
your freedom and everyone else's freedom is trying to use that area, they're all the restriction of their freedom. But it's only when the rules are followed that the by the vast majority that you really do have the freedom to use the road as it's intended. And that's really the principle behind this idea of freedom that God wants us to grasp in what Paul writes in Galatians 5 here, I believe. Freedom is not just doing whatever you want. The world wants us to think that, doesn't it? That if you, only, you only have free when you do anything you want without, without having to think about anyone else. But freedom is, as the Wikipedia definition says, it's the ability to fulfill one's purposes unhindered. Unhindered by sin, unhindered by guilt, and unhindered by fear, and many other of those bad things. All those things, and many more, are what Jesus dealt with on the cross. Which, as I like to say, is why everything comes back to the cross as the pivotal time in history. It's where the hindrances were taken away so that those who have faith in Jesus can really flourish in that freedom. So they are the kinds of Christians that Paul was seeking the church in Galatia to be. And if he, Paul was here today, he'd be the kind of church he's seeking us to be as well. So in order to do that, let's get into the passage and carry some of these clearer, hopefully, ideas of freedom with us as we do so. So Galatians 5 verse 13, I recommend you follow along in your own Bibles. So Galatians 5.13 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. So God has a call. So that means God has a plan for all of us, each of us. And each of us is supposed to be living in freedom. That is, we are to be moving away from sin and away from the things that drag us back into bondage and error and we each being personally beckoned forward by God, calling us to being more like Christ. Each of us has that call that we're personally responsible to respond to. Each of us has to respond to that in some way. So I hope that you have responded to that and you are on the journey forward, that you've given your life to Christ and you're not wallowing in the temporary pleasures of the world. Which is always the temptation, which is why Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That is, think of others first, not yourself. This is the basis for right thinking on this. If we consider how what we do and our choices in our life, how they affect others, that will help us make better decisions in life and more you know, good for the whole. But if we don't, if we get blinkered and we get inward focused and looking only at our own lives, how it affects us, me, 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 then we're living in the flesh and we're not following God the way we should be and the way he wants us to be following him. So if you're confused about flesh, by the way, the word flesh there is being used in the sense of our earthly focused sinfulness in our natural unredeemed state. That's the flesh that we have all have with us that we're all born with. And if that's how we're living, if we're living in the flesh then we will start to distort the meaning of freedom, like some of those dis uh, de definitions that we looked at before we're doing. And it's really easy to do, isn't it, just to, to distort the understanding of things. Like so much of life, if we choose the wrong starting point by redefining something, like if we redefine freedom as doing whatever I like, then that will send us down a whole different track to if we, redef if we define freedom as it should be, the, the freedom to be doing what we should be doing unhindered. They give you different paths, don't they? Two different paths to go down. 
So in fact, the concept behind the word translated opportunity there is that it's the source from which something comes. So it's the place where you begin something. So in the, in the military, uh, this, this Greek word is used in the military context as a base of operations. That's how they would kind of use it back when, the, when they were writing this, this down. So base of operations, the place where you begin, you gather, you marshal your troops. And so Paul is saying, don't let selfishness and misunderstanding of freedom be your base of operations. Don't base it on the idea of it's all about me. Base it on the idea of God's truth. So don't use it to enter into you know, indulgence and, and being greedy and those kind of things. Instead, we are free to serve one another in love. That's what the verse says there. That's the road God sets before us, which we have the freedom and the privilege to go by, by virtue of Jesus' sacrifice. So that should be our base of operations and, and the idea of what we build our life on, the truth of what Jesus has done. Because if he hadn't done that, we're actually not free to please God at all. We can't please God without that um, forgiveness Jesus won for us. So he sets the example of self-sacrifice to show us how it should really look to, s to love others and serve others. And I like how John Diffenbaker, a former Prime Minister of Canada before my time, he puts it like this. Freedom is the right to be wrong, not the right to do wrong. So we can say that in another way. Because of freedom, we get to try things with good motives and risk messing them up. But we don't get to just be sinful and be blasé about it. We don't just get to do it for free. So what's, what's our heart's intent is really what, what the difference is there. So I'll point you back to the, the traffic freedom illustration for clarity there. So selfishness on the roads takes away freedom for the whole, while a little obedience to basic principles based on good motives brings freedom for the whole. Okay? So you can imagine someone who just decides they're going to drive all over the road, drunk, whatever. That takes away everyone else's freedom, doesn't it? You don't have the freedom to drive in safety because someone's being selfish. So it's the same in church. We have the greatest freedom when we constrain ourselves within God's generous guidelines. And he's very generous. We have lots of scope to operate in a godly way. There's a few things that aren't aren't helpful. So we've got to make sure we know what they are. But we need to be careful that we don't go too far because it's not about following rules and laws. Which is why Paul goes on in verse 14 to say this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, we might say one principle, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. So he's showing there that ultimately the law of Christ is a paradigm of thinking it's a way of looking at things rather than a set of rules that you have a list and you tick them off as you do them and make sure you do them each day or each you know i've got to do this in my life or that kind of thing it all distills down to the idea of loving others as you love yourself that way you don't have to go and refer to the list every time you try and make a decision you you operate out of love for others and that will help you help guide you so that verse, or that quote there from verse 14, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, is actually a quote from Leviticus, so which goes to show even the Old Testament was not, in the end, about rules, which we sometimes think it is, you know, you had to obey all those rules, but yes, they should obey the rules, but it's still ultimately about love. That's the point of the law. It's love of God and love of others, isn't it? And that's exactly what Jesus taught when he came. And let's have a look at that, Matthew 22. 
there was Jesus speaking there and someone asked him in verse 36 this question, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first commandment. Sorry, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is confirming for us there that the real point of all the rules that the law of Moses set forth was not to keep the standard for you so that you could be saved by trying to do all the, all the things. It was to prove to you that you couldn't because it's not actually possible to keep the law. So if you were honest, you, you'd be proven to you that you couldn't keep that law and you'd realize your own in inadequacy. How does that help you? Well, that means you would look for a saviour because you realize you can't do it. That's the idea. You'd look for, your own, for a saviour. And because through love, God sent him, that saviour, as the person Jesus Christ, we can now respond to him in love and gratitude. Same for everyone all the way through. And because uh, that's the plan, uh, that, well, that is the plan. God set it as the plan. But so many of us miss it, don't we? We, miss the, we keep trying to go back to the rules. We, we get ourselves bound up in legalism, thinking that's how we please God. If we just do this next thing and do this thing better, God will be pleased. But that's not the basis of being pleasing God. But we, we still try and do it and we wonder why it doesn't work. We feel like we're still in bondage. It's because it was never meant to work. That's not the point of the law. But it is so tempting, isn't it, in our human minds to think that if we just do those things. And clearly, the abuse of freedom through lawlessness, so that's what this com often comes from. If we're completely lawless, though, and do, don't do anything that God says, it's obviously a very real problem too, and it can lead to all kinds of sins and hurting each other in the church. So I'm going to bring up a, an image which helps represent this. This is an unusual situation I found a picture of. The two trucks crashed on either side. So the ditch on the left, we're going to say, is lawlessness. So in reaction to that, we can tend to become legalists. So we, we know lawlessness is bad, obviously, just doing whatever you want. So in reaction to that, we can say that, we tend to say that in order to stay away from the sin of lawlessness, we need to be really strict. But that just falls into the ditch on the other side. So we put the title of legalism over the other truck on the other side there, which is, as we've seen so far in the series, it's the problem the Galatians were having mainly is legalism. That's why Paul wrote the letter, most, most uh, overarching purpose. But it, it, this little section now touches on lawlessness too. We're going to see how they actually connect shortly. So Paul is actually dealing with two opposing errors that are both bondage to sin, both ends of it. They're the two ditches on the either, either side of the true road of freedom. So we're aiming to go down the middle is the nice sealed section there. That's what God sets before believers. So to fall into either error, either way, can cause you to hurt your brothers and sisters. So let me explain what I mean by that. So if you throw off all restraint in lawlessness, you hurt people with selfishness by using them for your own pleasure and status or whatever. So selfishness, lawlessness is going to hurt people. So that's like someone who might take their car and just drive across traffic doing whatever they want to do and cause an accident. So that's lawlessness and that obviously hurts people. 
But on the other side, if you're super strict, if you're a legalist, you can hurt people by being judgmental and critical. And usually that is fueled by pride or it results in pride either way because you're better than they are because they're not following all the rules that you're supposed to follow all the rules. You're, you follow the rules better, therefore you're better than them. That's the, the judgmental idea that we need to avoid in legalism too. And then in the example of the road, on driving on the road, then that'll be someone like who points out every little fault in everyone else as they're driving along for technical errors on the road when, you know, sometimes we just... We use our discretion, use the spirit, not the letter of the, of the law when you're driving sometimes. So we want to avoid those two errors. We want to be somewhere in the middle. So we need to aim for the center of the road or else we will hurt each other, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you, that you are not consumed by one another. But this is more like what the world does at the moment, isn't it? Biting and devouring each other. If you try and say anything on Facebook, you're going to get chomped on by someone so that's where the whole cancel culture thing springs from it's legalism according to the world's laws now does the world have laws well sort of but they're also lawlessness <laughs> so the things that the world holds up are so many things of those things are lawlessness aren't they and i won't go through them all but you know what i'm saying it's about throwing off restraint and if you don't throw off restraint as much as they have then they'll jump on you in their legalism so you know, you're a heretic and they'll cancel you because you're not following their lawlessness. So it's lawlessness and legalism at the same time, which is really strange. But that's the world we're in. And I'm sure many of you have been on the receiving end of someone trying to cancel you or attack you for standing up for God's standards, not running into lawlessness, and then they become the legalists. So yeah, that's the world we are in. So even in this world, we can see the two sides at work. So if it's in the world, we have to be especially careful not to let that seep into the church, which is very easy for it to do. We need to, you know, the world can bite and devour each other and, and they can do that if they want to, but we need to stand firm on God's word and keep in true freedom. And if we do that, the biting and devouring one another, they, can, they, may, they will eventually self-destruct and fall by the wayside, but God's truth will prevail. It always has prevailed. It's prevailed all the way through history and it continues to and God has promised that it will. So if we stay on truth, we will prevail ultimately. So therefore, let us live with love and concern for others because that's what God wants us to be like. Otherwise, what Paul's describing here is like a cancer. So a can cancer is when you know, your, your own cells in your body start to turn on themselves and, and start attacking others in the body. So if you have cancer, without strong and decisive intervention, the disease quickly spreads and the body consumes itself from, from within, or certainly it can spread very quickly. And sadly, that can happen in any human organisation, that kind of thing, that kind of you know, rot. But it's especially bad if it happens in a church that it has Jesus' name on it and he, he doesn't want that to happen. So we need to avoid that. So what does Paul suggest to stop this from happening? Let's keep reading, verse 16. But I say, so he says, instead of that, do this, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, so that's all you've got to do is walk by the Spirit. Piece of cake, no worries. But no, being a bit facetious there. So what does that mean? Now, what does walking by the Spirit mean? We can say these things sometimes, but we don't really 
we've got to flesh it out in our minds. What does it mean? Well, let's have this substance by, we'll try and give it some substance by looking at this picture. got another illustration to give you here. It's a picture of a path with the light shining on it, but there's dark on the sides. So this represents the path of your life that God has mapped out for you. He's lit the bit that you need to know. It's not all the way to the end, but he's lit enough for you to see what your next step needs to be. And it's lit up by the word of God. So as you spend time in his word and you just listen to him, you learn to how to see the path ahead and follow his leading. Now remember, that's why I say you listen to him. It's not just empty rules. It's not just do this and don't do that and make sure you do this at this time and follow the rules. That's not how it works. It's moment by moment, step by step, relational response to the Spirit of God in you. And the Holy Spirit is in you if you believe in Christ and are therefore a child of God. The Holy Spirit is in you. He's not if you don't. But if you are a child of God, you have that wonderful blessing of the Holy Spirit. So as each of us spends time in the light of his word and lets his spirit shine in us and through us, then we are walking by his spirit. Or we're walking in his spirit as it's put in some other places. Now, that's the good thing, but we are free in our freedom of our free will. If we want to choose to walk in the, the dark areas, we are free to do that. If we want to walk in the darkness, get off the path. We are autonomous in that sense. So if you're a Christian, but you're w walking off in the dark, does that make you not a Christian anymore? Well, no, not at all. It just means that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and walking where God has lit for you. You're trying to walk by your own light and your own eyes, but the light, you know, the, our own light is darkness compared to God's light, so we don't want to be doing that. But what happens if we do? Say we're walking out in the darkness, and m many people do this, they go off the track, and they walk in the darkness. Well, what's happening, what's likely to happen when, if you're using the illustration there, if you're walking out in the, off the light, you might run into a tree, or you know, there's, there's water, there's bogs, there's animals that might attack you in the dark because you can't see as well as you think you do. So any number of things can happen to you when you stray off the path that can hurt you and can hurt others. So obviously it's far better that w spiritually that we stick to the path. Now let's be clear though, just because you're on the path doesn't mean bad things don't happen to you too. Because Jesus never promised life was going to be easy for a believer. In fact, he promised the opposite, didn't he? He said, you'll be persecuted, there'll be difficulties. The path in the light can be really tough. But the difference is that the tough things work the most efficiently to help us trust more in God when we're on the path rather than the hard things bringing when we bring on ourselves as we stray. And they can often be far more prolonged and hurt others in the process. And we don't want to be doing that, certainly not hurting others. So yes, God uses it all to shape us, all the things, whatever we're on the light or in the darkness, whichever way we're walking, they all, God uses it all of it, but we're definitely much better off if we stick to the path in the light of the Spirit. And John, in his first letter, as opposed to the Gospel of John, we're talking about his first epistle, as it's often called, 1 John, he talks about this in chapter 1, verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, so we're walking with him, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. 
So I love how he brings the idea of fellowship there. If we're walking in the light together, we're helping each other stay on track. We work best as a church when we walk in the light together. It's the name of the series, isn't it? Together. So that's the idea. That's when the blood of Jesus does its best work on us all and progressively matures us. So that's what the last part of that verse means. Okay, so how do we know if that's happening? Well, he actually gives us a measuring tape to use, just a bit further down the Galatians passage there. So if you're back in Galatians, there is, like I said, the measuring stick, the fruit of the Spirit, a bit further down. So in verses 22 and 23, we read this. This is something we can look at um, in our own lives. Are these things in you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, we've all heard that list many times, but this is something we can look at in our lives. Are those things becoming more evident in our lives? How are you going with that? Now, if you're anything like me, you might think some of those, yeah, I'm improving on that, but I'm certainly not getting very good on these other ones. You know, so that's, that's how, how it is. But if that's whatever we're looking at, that we're going, we're not going so well in some of these, how do we improve? That's the danger. We've got to be careful here. Now, do we just say we're not patient enough? That's one thing to say. Do we just focus on being more patient? Or say we, our self-control is a bit, a bit lax? Do we just, by willpower, say, I'm going to have better self-control than, than yesterday? Well, there's a place for willpower, but ultimately the power doesn't come from ourselves. And if it does, that's where we slip off the road into legalism. We don't want to do that, as we just saw. Think about the illustration. Okay, so what are these things called? They're called fruit of the Spirit. So when a tree produces fruit, does the tree have to go, I'm going to do better fruit, I'm going to do better fruit? No, free just, the tree just produces fruit because it's embedded in the ground and draws its nutrients from there. So that's the key for us. We need to go back to the root in our spiritual lives. If the roots are good and they're in good soil, healthy fruit will naturally follow. You don't have to push hard to make fruit come out. <laughs> and the fruits of our li- well, the, the roots of our lives are where? Well, should they be? They should be, well, they are as believers in Christ, aren't they? On Jesus Christ. He is the bedrock. He is the soil that, that nourishes us and gives us the, the ability to, to have fruit. So if we're not seeing the fruit that we want to see coming out of our lives, we mustn't default to legalism to fix it. We must get back to the root and establish our relationship with God more deeply. That's where it comes from. So how do we do that? Well, we get back to the same old things that Christians have been doing for millennia. Get back to prayer. Get back to spending time with God and His Word. Make sure you're spending time with other believers who are going to help you to, to love him and, love and teach, you, teach you to love them. Now, these are the kinds of things which help and nourish us that God's given us to shape our spiritual lives. And they're simple things, aren't they? They're not tricky. They're not complicated. They're not secret knowledge. It's just the obvious things. So, the, but they are what help us stay on the, the path of freedom. So getting back to verse 16 again, they are how we can not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because those desires are pulling us in a different direction. The flesh pulls us one way. 
and, and it beckons us into the shadows, off the track again. So let's see verse 17 now. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you doing from what you want to do. Now, I know we all, we've all felt that, we have that, as Paul talks about in Romans 7, that desire to do good, but not the ability to carry it out many times. Is that struggle, internal struggle that we all have. We have those two things pulling us. We have our flesh, our old sin nature in us, even if we're a believer in Jesus. It's, it's dead, it's hanging on there. But the, the, you know, the old ruts it's made in our lives and our behaviours and our thinking are still there for a long time, very often. Praise God when he changes quickly, changes us quickly, which he can definitely do. But more often I think he wants to work with us to change those things with his spirit in us. And that's why God is in us by his spirit to do that. And what is the goal that it says at the end of that verse there? Well, as it's given there, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, when I read that, I find that a little bit confusing that way. So it might be better said like this so that you don't just do whatever you want. I think that's kind of the idea behind it there. In other words, you have these two natures. God allows you to have these two natures in you so that you exercise your free will and have to make a choice. When you have a decision to make, you're hearing do this and you're hearing do that. You have to make a choice and that helps you see where your heart truly is and you keep having to Remember, if, to, if you're making the wrong decision too often, the, re the reason is that you need to get back to a better relationship, a stronger relationship with Christ. So that's the great challenge of the Christian life, is to train ourselves to listen to God's voice and follow that, not the opposing voice of our flesh. Without the voice of God in our lives, we just naturally coast towards the darkness and end up in the sticks and in the brush and in the bog on the side. which is what it means if we try and live our lives only by the heartless rules set out by the law, as the Galatians were tending to do. So instead of that, rather than that, Paul's instruction was, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And from what he just said too, neither are you to be lawless. Okay, remember, so the two extremes are what we are avoiding here. We need to be in that middle ground, that firm ground in the light of the Spirit of God. That's where we follow the principles of God relationally rather than apply the rules coldly and harshly uh, without compassion and love for others because that's what legalism does for us. And we don't like it. Okay, so to sum up, that's really the point here. We started out in verse 13 with the idea that our freedom should be used as an opportunity to love and serve each other. And putting others first, not an opportunity for the flesh. And then we mustn't be attacking each other and, and, and creating divisions over stupid little things. They are what our flesh or our sinful nature wants to do. But we need to practice rejecting those temptations, train ourselves to listen to God's voice, following the Spirit as He talks to us and guides us. Because He's talking to you all the time. He's talking to us, and, but we need to be trained to listen. We've got to Keep, make sure we're listening and not be too distracted. So there you go. That's, that's a quick summary of the, the passage we've looked at today. And I do pray that there's something helpful for you there as you go about your week and beyond that helps you stay on that path and, and honour God and, and bless each other as a church. So let's do that. Let's pray as we close.
Our dear Lord and God, we thank you so much for your generosity to us by giving us your word, by giving us your spirit, and sending your son to die in our place. Because without him, Lord, we, are, we really are nothing, Lord. We can't do anything. But thank you, Lord, for being such a great and gracious God. Help us to pass that grace on to others. Lord, we know church life can be tricky sometimes and there's things that cause divisions and cause us to, to be selfish. Lord, help us to learn to listen to your voice, to show us when we're doing the wrong thing and, and being selfish and not thinking of others. And thank you, Lord, for your word to us today to, that helps us understand that. And we pray that as we go from here, these things will change our lives and bring us into a fuller and greater relationship with you and with each other to the glory of, of your name in the people around us. So we pray in that name, the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.